Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. We're in the sixth Sunday of Easter, preparing for the Ascension and then the great feast of Pentecost and the descent of the Holy Spirit. And the gospel is turning now and reminding us of our dwelling or indwelling in the Trinity, in the Holy Spirit. And so the reading from John chapter 14, the gospel for this Sunday, uh, is uh, part of Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. And so here's what the gospel says. And Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him because he remains with you and, and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And in a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. At the heart of the gospel is the mystery of love and how it is that we learn to understand God's presence in our lives through this great mystery of love. And it goes right back again to the problems that are brought out in Genesis. Jesus talks about keeping his commandments and remember, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did not do. And then all the human attempts to overcome this distance between us and God, even in our present lives, how many people talk about how they're searching for God or they're searching for meaning. But this isn't the story of the scriptures. In the story of the scriptures, God comes to uh, the Garden of Eden searching for Adam and Eve who are hiding uh, from him. And so even today, people hide from God behind rationalizations and excuses, or they make up false gods, the New Age, the occult, um, all the various ways people act out in uh, their desire uh, to find and to build God in their own image and likeness. But Jesus says he's going to send us the spirit of truth, another advocate, one to stand beside us, because to really understand the gospel, to understand God in the world, you have to accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, um, you're actually for the first time capable of belief because uh, there is no way to encounter God, to understand God, to meet God um, with in neutrality of what I think the philosopher Thomas Nagel called the view from nowhere, as if somehow we could get past all of our biases, all of our past, and just see reality as it is. That is just not a gift that's given to human beings. We live in a time and a place and a context. And when the Son of God entered into that context through the incarnation in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that became the fulcrum of all of reality, the turning point. And it's only standing there and examining our lives that we can start to make sense of our existence. G.K. Chesterton used to say about Jesus Christ that he's 
the key that fits every lock. Whatever the question is about meaning and purpose in life, really it comes down to whether or not you can make God up for yourself or you will accept that God has reached out to you. And how is it that you accept God? How is it that you come to understanding? Jesus says it, is you keep his commandments. It's really the diagnosis that those first four chapters of Genesis give us. Adam and Eve heard God's commandment and they disobeyed. And then Cain and Abel, who offer a sacrifice, try to come up with their own jerry-rigged solution about how they're going to overcome uh, the distance between God and humanity. And then you go through the Mosaic laws about uh, all the sacrifices. You know, you, you think, and it's with a sense of sorrow on the Jewish people, um, how it is that the attempt to overcome the distance between God and man by offering sacrifices in the temple was just uh, doomed to failure. You know, it's in, um, in, in the Torah where uh, the high priest on behalf of the 12 tribes of Israel was to offer sin sacrifices, two goats, if you remember, and one was to be sent off into the desert for Azazel, the desert demon, and the other was to be sacrificed uh, with, within the temple. And that sacrifice of Yom Kippur has not been held in, since uh, sometime in the year 69 when the Romans destroyed the temple. And so Yom Kippur, which is the high holy day for the Jewish people, is always just a remembrance of a temple that was but is no more. But the Son of God came, and this was always the Christian response to the Old Testament and ultimately why the destruction of the temple opened up the world to accepting what true worship looks like. And true worship looks like Christ's crucifixion, where he goes to the cross in obedience to his Father. Uh, it is in the end what God asks of each of us. And so as we turn to thinking about early Christian preaching and its call on us to how it is that we live in Christ and Christ in us, which is the Gospel of John, uh, we're going to talk about 1 Peter, which is the letter that we've been reading uh, through the Easter season from the second Sunday of Easter through the present Sunday. And so in this next part of Oral Valley Catholic, I'm just going to walk you through the first letter of Peter, uh, which is uh, the preaching of St. Peter, who was there to, to listen to our Lord, and uh, the call of St. Peter's preaching on our own conversion of heart to Christ. The first letter of Peter, written sometime before he was crucified upside down in Rome, uh, is really one of the most interesting letters in the New Testament. Peter wrote two letters. The first is the one I'm going to talk about. One of the things that makes this letter uh, so interesting is that it's the scriptural basis for our Catholic belief in the harrowing of hell. Remember uh, the part of the Apostles' Creed which said that Christ descended into hell on the third day he rose from the dead, ascended into hell. Uh, it's, it's really kind of a misnomer. It, sometimes it's just problems of translation. Um, for the ancient world, for the Jewish people, the netherworld, the, under, uh, the underworld, 
uh, was the Chthonic world, which is another way of saying the underworld, was called Sheol. And in Sheol, it was a place where people were after they died. It wasn't necessarily a place of uh, punishment. There was punishment there, but not all of Sheol was punishment. And in Hades, which is the Greco-Roman version of Sheol, it's the same, it's the same thing. Tartarus was the place of, of uh, uh, pu- punishment. Um, but not all of it was punishment. Some of it was just the, the uh, existence after death, which isn't life. As Achilles said to Odysseus uh, in the Odyssey, one day of life on earth is better than eternity in Hades. Uh, we call it the harrowing of hell because English is a uh, northern European language, and the uh, goddess hell, H-E-L, was the version of Hades, the god, god Hades from the Greco-Roman world, because they had similar cosmologies, uh, and she guarded the mouth to the underworld. But when Peter talked about the harrowing of hell, what he said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, is that Jesus in his body descended amongst the, spirit, the spirits in prison, and so uh, think of the afterlife before the death of Christ as just being in prison, a place where you're just confined, where there is no life. But the understanding that Jesus freed all of those from death, starting with uh, his own resurrection, this is at the heart of how it is that through our lives and our deaths, uh, we are united with God. That's why the preaching of the church we say that Christ took death and turned it inside out, not as a way into this underworld prison, this chthonic prison, but instead as a way to eternal life in God. And it goes back to the gospel of John chapter 14. Um, life and life abundantly is what Christ uh, promises us in the, in the readings in, in Easter. And so First Peter the, it's a, basically five chapters. It's a, it's a pretty short letter, and it starts out as all the apostolic letters start out, even by Paul, uh, with a greeting to people, and then always starting out with praise to God, because the difference between an apostolic letter and a prayer uh, is that it's really all prayer, but it's prayer that includes us in it, and that's why God is praised. You know, St. Augustine in his Confessions, people sometimes read that and don't understand it, but St. Augustine's Confessions is just a prayer. Really, the writer is addressing God throughout, and he's talking to God about his experience of life, and he invites us, the reader, just to join in. So if you think about First Peter, as something like that, that uh, apostolic preaching is really an invitation for us to join in the conversation that Peter is having with, uh, with the risen Lord, because Peter tells you that he is in Christ and with Christ, and Christ is with him. And so this is the whole attitude of prayer. And so then about the end of chapter 1, uh, St. Peter starts talking about God's holy people, uh, living in exile, like the Jewish people living in exile in Egypt and trying to come to the promised land. Because the underlying metaphor for early Christian preaching, and especially this first letter of Peter, is uh, that uh, we are slaves to sin, and he, Christ, has come to save us. And the new exodus is this exodus that follows him in his ascension from Jerusalem. 
And what's the way that you follow him? It's just what was said in the Gospels. Uh, steadfast faith. And you know that you have steadfast faith if you do your best to keep God's commandments. You know, it, it's why it is that we take the commandments seriously. And although sometimes in our lives our, our choices um, are, are much harder to implement uh, the life of Christ and the commandments in our life, still in our hearts it's what we strive for and why confession is important why we understand that even despite our best efforts, we rely uh, on the grace of God uh, for our salvation. And then Peter says farewell in a, final, in a final blessing to us. And so I'd like to go through the readings, the second readings from Easter through the sixth Sunday, because they start out with Paul's letter to the Romans talking about the importance of baptism which is at the heart of almost all of the Easter preaching through the last six weeks. And then by the second Sunday of Easter, as I kind of recap what's happened over the last few Sundays of Easter, uh, I want to develop a little bit of the preaching of First Peter, the letter in First Peter, that I've taken, tried to take a little time to at least broadly sketch. So think about all of this as how do we orient ourselves to God. So at the Easter Vigil, if you, if you made it, um, we the second the New Testament reading was from Romans chapter six, and here's what Saint Paul said about baptism: Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Think about that with your kids, your babies you've had baptized, or someday will have baptized. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. That's why we bring our babies to be baptized. We know that every child is born is born into human death. Uh, it starts approaching uh, the moment you're conceived. And so bringing your child to Christ is the uh, accepting that God turns death inside out, inside out for your baby. It makes this whole life journey that you and your child have in your family uh, or you have in your own single life as a life dedicated and directed towards union with God. Because here's what Paul then says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Because St. Paul equates, as the church does, is uh, sin and death. It's a spiritual death. It's a physical death. But once we've been freed from physical death by immortality, um, we are freed by the grace of God through the claim that sin has on us. Or as my friend Monsignor Bottini used to say, at least six months after we're dead, it's a, a very hopeful understanding. So if you made it to the Easter Sunday Mass for the second Sunday of Easter, um, that's when First Peter uh, starts his preaching. And, and that second Sunday, it's about the hope of the resurrection and what it presents us in our baptism. So it starts out at the beginning of the letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion, and that would be all of us, and Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all of those places are in Asia Minor, right up to the 
southern shores of the Black Sea. And then uh, he continues, chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And so predestination uh, for, uh, for St. Peter and for the church is that we are chosen and destined for God. Um, and it's to us to get off the train. God has made nobody for damnation. Um, but at the same time, you can continue to hide from God. Uh, and then we're chosen, and then we're sanctified by the Spirit for obedience, the ability to hear God and to understand and respond. And then uh, to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And this is, goes back to the whole issue of true worship. You may remember that when, the, when Moses made the covenant, uh, he slaughtered an animal and then he put the blood into a bowl and then he went and sprinkled people with the blood of the sacrifice of the covenant. And so when Peter is talking about Jesus and his gory death on the cross, he's saying that we are sprinkled with his blood. Um, we drink it, his blood in the chalice. And it obviously goes back to this understanding that the the temple worship going back to the sacrifices by Moses and Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood, that this has all been fulfilled in the one sacrifice of Christ. The New Testament hasn't been rejected but fulfilled, and that's a very different thing, um, and that all are saved through the blood of Christ, not from the uh, blood of slaughtered animals. And so uh, Peter goes on, May grace and peace be multiplied in you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we've been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and with an inheritance, a new land that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for her salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I like to tell people that, you know, we all face temptation. We all have failures in life. But to hold on to the faith and trust that if we keep just doggedly putting one foot in front of the other, the Lord understands our temptations. He understands our frailty and weakness. This is the whole story of, of Christ. And so uh, in the third Sunday, uh, St. Peter uh, spends time and dwells on our situation here in Oral Valley as being this time of exile. So again, from the first chapter of Peter's letter, and if you invoke as father him who judges each one impartially according to his deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, with reverence for God throughout the time of your exile. And this sense that we have about being away from our home, you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, and he's, this is referring to the Old Testament uh, and to paganism, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And remember, this goes right back to the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. Um, both of them tried to satisfy uh, this, this abyss between them and God by sacrificing material things. What Christ gave was a material thing. It was his very life. Um, and this is at the heart of uh, what it means to be a Christian, that we understand that our lives in union with Christ are in fact a sacrifice. 
When you marry, that's a sacrifice for God. When you uh, become a priest in holy orders or religious life, you're sacrificing for God. Uh, we're not just living our lives with the idea that at the end we'll all go to heaven. We're living our lives with the idea that every choice we make in our life is somehow giving that life to God because that is what we, that is what he wants. Um, you know, it's good. I'm glad you support our parish and the collection. It's necessary. Uh, but what God wants is our hearts. And so we get to the fourth Sunday of Easter and St. Peter starts to refer to Isaiah and the suffering servant because this becomes the understanding of Christ is who gave himself uh, his beard to be plucked, his face to be spat on, and he's referring to his own um, crucifixion. And so again, now we're to chapter two, St. Peter says, but if when you do right and suffer for it, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. Oh my gosh, patience, this is the sacrifice, right? How it is that you just accept all the indignities of life and you don't get drugged down into the dark. And then Peter continues, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you shall follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who judges justly. It's like being in the world and not letting the childishness in other people make you like them. I think it's embarrassing for parents. I know they're embarrassed when their children's childish behavior brings the inner child out of them. I think we all can blush when that happens in our lives. But St. Peter said, you know, be grown up, be like Christ. Recognize you live in this fallen world and you're called to lift up the world by your own dignity and the reverence you have for God and the gift he's given you of his life. So last week, the fifth Sunday of Easter, um, St. Peter turned to the priesthood of the baptized. You know, at, at the masses I said that there, every baptized Christian is baptized priest, prophet, and king. And one of the things I had said about priesthood was that in our baptismal priesthood, um, everyone can confer two sacraments. They can validly baptize somebody and they can confer the sacrament of marriage. What makes the sacrament of marriage um, a uh, recognized by the, the church, by the, but recognized by the church is when husband and wife offer their um, vows of fidelity to each other in front of a witness appointed by the bishop. That's the Catholic form of the sacrament of marriage, um, that you say the words, I so-and-so take you so-and-so to be my wife, to uh, promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. The permanence, the perpetual nature of marriage offered for Christ, it's a complete offering of your life. As I celebrate 25 years of priesthood, that's what ordination of the priesthood is. But boy, at some point, you gotta be able to possess yourself enough to do that. And so as St. Peter's talking about the priesthood of the baptized, here's what he says in chapter two. Come to him, to that living stone rejected by men, but in God's sight chosen and precious. And like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
What did God the Father find acceptable um, about the sacrifice of Christ? How he died, uh, that he was obedient, that he did not lose his human dignity. He still lived a life by God of patient endurance of suffering and forgiveness of sins. And so it's why St. Peter says in that letter, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you therefore who believe he is precious? But for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, and a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall. For they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was listening to this wonderful address by Dr. Peter Kraft, who I think is really so interesting. He says, in the end, there's only two things that are said. Um, it's from the Christian who turns to God and says, thy will be done, which we say in the Our Father, right? They will be done on earth as in heaven. That you say that and you try to live by his will. Because if you don't do that, here's what God says to, to you. He says, thy will be done. You get to live in your own little corner of reality. Uh, it's like being against the wall and refusing to join into this wonderful dance led by God. Um, it's either God's way or it's my way. Kreef uh, said, we don't have a lack of gods in America. We have about 336 million gods in America. Uh, because to be a priest is to recognize that you are not God. And so the Catholic priesthood, and I'm referring to the priesthood of the faithful as well as the ministerial priesthood, the priesthood you experience as husband and wife in marriage or as a faithful Catholic looking for vocation uh, to the religious life, the priesthood or marriage, and may God bring you to the place where uh, he'll make you a saint. Uh, because when we think of the sacrifices we make in the vocation set, uh, we choose and God offers us and we, and we accept them. Because remember, he doesn't promise that he'll make us happy in this world just in the next. What he promises is if we faithfully accept the call he has given us, he'll make us a saint. That's at the end what the promise is, a union with God. Um, happiness in this world is at best fleeting. Sanctity is for eternity. And a saint a saint can pick up everybody around them. And so what St. Peter says this weekend in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, he says, always be prepared to defend your way of life. Why the rationality of the gospel, being true to the spirit of God in reality, um, is beyond the rationalizations of unbelievers. It's to simply to accept the great mercy and dignity that God confers on each one of us. And for people who uh, see themselves as just apparently uh, a short-term experiment uh, that will simply uh, fade away into nothingness, I, I don't know how you talk to people who's, uh, who have such a low hopes for themselves. Because um, here's what St. Peter says. But in your hearts, reverence Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. 
yet do it with gentleness and reverence. That's a tough one. And keep your conscience clear so that when you are abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing right, if that should be God's will, than for doing wrong. That's why Socrates says, uh, a good man, a, a good man won't suffer. Uh, because goodness is just the reality of this sense of holiness, of wholeness. And then Peter concludes in the reading for this Sunday, for Christ who died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so uh, the promise of the preaching of St. Peter, there you have it for this Easter 2023. And we go off to the great feasts at the end of the Easter season, the Ascension, Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit, the Feast of uh, the Holy Trinity, and then the great Feast of Corpus Christi. So I want to thank you for taking the time to be with Oro Valley Catholic and to think about the great call that we have to be Christians. So let's pray for vocation, for our own vocations, for the vocations of the people around us, uh, that the community of Christ, the living church, the stones, uh, which the Lord himself has laid in place, he being the keystone, uh, that will be faithful. Uh, so this has been Father John Arnold in another episode of Oral Valley Catholic.